The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. And welcome to PR Insider with your host, Maureen Kettis. PR Insider is brought to you by www.us.cision.com, whose world-famous Bacon's Media Database is updated more than 10,000 times per day. Take your PR to the next level. Now, here's your host, Maureen Kettis. Hi, thanks for tuning in, and today is good. Get your pencils out, because we have a really wonderful guest. He's a media and crisis communications expert. He's had... 40 years as a journalist and media advisor, and he's created a unique process that enables newsmakers and public speakers to be compelling communicators, which is so important. He's also an instructor for the MIT Harvard Public Disputes Program, a class called um, Dealing with an Angry Public, which is sponsored by Harvard Law School, and he lectures on media skills to Harvard Business School MBA students in the Negotiating Complex Deals and Disputes course. He's also an author of a new book entitled, which I love the title, it's called When the Headline is You, an Insider's Guide to Handling the Media. Welcome to Jeff Ansel. Thank you so much, Maureen. I'm grateful for the invitation to be here. Oh, yes, wonderful. And, um, you know, I just, your, your background, before we start talking about your book and everything, your background is, is, is so incredible. I mean, not only did you uh, win some of, you know, the Radio and Television News Director Association Award for the most significant contribution to the improvement of news gathering in the country, um, but you were a senior VP of Hill and Knowlton. It's one of the largest uh, PR firms in the world, and you, you created their media training department. Um, in but, Canada. In Canada. Um, but you were an investigative reporter, and, and um, you exposed, you, you were undercover for a year as a drug addict. That's to right. expose doctors pushing drugs, and you and you hunted. Then you later you hunted down Nazi war criminals. Yep. So I want to hear about that first before we get it. So tell us about your your background as a as a reporter, and then how you you know trans transferred into being a um, a publicist. Well, I I've always seen uh, journalism as being a noble calling, and I am very grateful for the many assignments that I had that turned out to be really exciting ones. I got a tip one day from a woman who told me that her husband died as a result of a drug overdose, and the drugs were given to him by doctors mm-hmm. who never even examined him, and they were actually drug pushers in the community, these physicians. Mm-hmm. So I found out who they were, and I became their patient. Wired with a hidden microphone, I went to visit them every week for a year. Never once did they examine me, but they kept giving me all kinds of drugs, which I collected in a safe. I did an hour-long documentary featuring the hidden conversations, and uh, next thing you know, uh, they had their licenses yanked. They weren't doctors anymore. Wow, that's amazing because, I mean, Anna Nicole Smith, you know, that, that is just resurfaced in the news again. I guess her Howard uh, Stern right. is guilty of something. He was found guilty of something. But, um, but that's amazing. And how many of these doctors did you find like that? I always well, think that there's none like that. Well, actually, uh, you'll find several in many communities. I targeted two because these particular doctors were the ones involved in the death of the young man. Yes. Uh, the, um, the husband of the woman who had called me. And so I knew that they were definitely uh, part of the problem. And these guys were, uh, were just bad apples. And uh, 
I went in there posing as somebody who lived in the community, uh, never once asking for drugs, but they kept giving them to me, and I kept them in a safe. And, of course, when the federal authorities came in to do the investigation later, Amazing. they counted the drugs to make sure each and every one was there. Right. I mean, this, this is so, so prevalent in the news with celebrities like Michael Jackson and all that and his doctor. Right. Like, why the heck he was taking that drug to begin with, I don't know. Right. I'm sure we haven't heard the end of that one. Yeah. So, um, and then and tell, tell me about this Nazi war criminal thing. This sounds like a movie script. Well, you know what? As a matter of fact, uh, my son and I are looking at uh, <laughs> telling the story on the screen because it's a heck of a story. Um, some folks are familiar with Simon Wiesenthal, the noted uh-huh. Nazi hunter. Mm-hmm. Well, Mr. Wiesenthal and I were doing an interview uh, a number of years ago, and he was telling me about Nazi war criminals. And I've got to tell you, I wasn't very uh, tuned into this because I thought, no, not in our country, not where we live. I said, give me the name of one Nazi. And he said, and he gave me a name of a fellow, and he said his whereabouts are unknown. I found him, and I spent uh, about 12 months proving that this was indeed the war criminal that had been identified. This particular individual uh, was a captain in, the, uh, his, uh, his, uh, in his community. He was uh, in the Gestapo's uh, Latvian division. He was uh, somebody who was accused of murdering 5,000 innocent people. Uh. And uh, we exposed him, and I also found another Nazi who had murdered 11,000 people. This fellow was actually in the Gestapo. Uh, had pulled the trigger himself and ordered others to do it. Uh. And uh, I found him. Uh, and coincidentally, he lived a few blocks from the other Nazi, believe it or not. And I got the goods on him, and I reported him to the government, and he was, uh, he was extradited for trial in West Germany. So we got him oh shipped out of the country. Well, how did you find them when no one else could? You know what? There wasn't a, a, a willingness to find these people. Uh, these particular individuals uh, lived in Canada. And the Canadian government, for whatever reason, chose not to pursue Nazi war criminals. And these people were actually drawing pensions, and if you can believe it, they were actually in the phone book, for goodness sake. So you didn't have to be a brainiac to find them. Oh, so it was unbelievable. Really but we, we got them in the end. They, they found justice. Wow, wow. That must have been something. So, okay, so you, did, so you worked as a, as a journalist and an investigative reporter, and then how did you end up um, uh, with Hill and Knowlton in, in, in Canada? Well, you know, I, I had a good run as a, as a journalist, Maureen, uh, but there was something that happened one day in the newsroom that just, I, I just forced me to leave the business. I was uh, about to go on the air at 6 o'clock to do the evening news on TV, mm-hmm. and it was 5.30 in the afternoon. It was a slow news day. It was August, and all we had as a potential lead story was a stabbing in the community. Now, certainly that's newsworthy, but I didn't think it was worthy of a lead story in a major market TV station. Mm-hmm. And so we were sort of uh, looking for a better lead, didn't have one. And then at about 10 to 6, the assignment editor got on the loudspeaker in the newsroom and announced to everyone, good news, we have a lead story, the stabbing victim died. <gasps> and the newsroom erupted in a cheer, and I was just in shock. And after the newscast, I quit. <sighs> I came home and told my wife I quit. Uh, I, I didn't have a job, I didn't have 10 cents to rub together, but... I just, uh, I just couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen. There's, there's sort of unethical moments in every business. I mean, there's, there's things that, you know, there's, there's wonderful things about journalism. I and mean, you caught, you caught a Nazi war criminal for God's sakes. But um, yeah, that's the other, that's the ugly side of the news business. Yeah. So, um, so then you, then you thought, okay, I want to work on the other side. I've had, a, believe it or not, a lot of publicists are have a background in journalism. I'm finding okay. because I interview them all the time. Right. And so, so how did you parlay? How did you parlay your your career into PR? 
Well, what I mostly do is I'm a media and crisis communications consultant. So I wanted to take the experience I had learned as a journalist, and I wanted to help folks on the other side because it didn't seem like it was a level playing field. You know, it was too easy for, I, I recognized, it was too easy for the media to run roughshod over people. And there, was, there were too many innocent, decent folks who were media roadkill as a result of not knowing how to answer questions and so on. So I had the good fortune of hooking up with uh, Hill and Knowlton. It was a wonderful opportunity. I learned an awful lot there. I spent about six years and uh, ended up leaving as a senior vice president. And then I went on my own to open Jeff Ansell and Associates. And at Jeff Ansell and Associates, I focus uh, exclusively, as I say, on media and crisis communications training. And very often I find myself working on tough, high-profile, no-win situations. Why do you think... Um you you chose to focus on media training and crisis training. What what, what about those things appealed to you? I, d- I discovered in my latter years in journalism how respected and valued the skills are that a journalist has. And I saw that folks in the area of communications, whether it's a government communications or public affairs, valued the skills that re- former reporters bring to the table. And I thought, you know what, I've invested 20 years uh, in this career what have I learned? How can I leverage it to help other people who have to deal with, with news reporters? And uh, I created a process uh, over years uh, that, uh, that works, that allows people to comp- be compelling media communicators, especially when they're dealing with tough news. And that's what I write about in When the Headline is You. So um, tell us what you do before we get on to talking about the book, which I really want to talk about. Um, tell us about Jeff Ansel. JeffAnsel.com. It's J-E-F-F-A-N-S-E-L-L.com. Right, and the website for the book is WhenTheHeadlineIsYou.com. Right, and they're they're linked. <laughs> right. But t- tell me about um, what Jeff Ansel is about and Associates is about. Well, Jeff Ansel and Associates, as I say, uh, conducts media and crisis communications training. Today, we did a, a full day, for instance, of training program for a radio network. The president and a bunch of business executives came in. Oh, John Missile, are you listening? <laughs> That's my executive producer. Oh, yes. Well, <laughs> valuable for everybody. And we did a, a number of, uh, of uh, exercises that focused on the tough issues that particular company is facing with regard to potential uh-huh. mergers and revenues and, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So to get them ready for media. Um, so you know, we help folks deliver their good news, their not-so-good news, and and to deal with crisis situations. Yesterday I, I trained a government official who has to talk about the state uh, finances to ensure that uh, he can answer the tough questions from the, uh, from the critics. And, uh, you know, I, I do a, a fair bit of work with a, a whole bunch of different sectors, I'm, I'm grateful to say. Wow. And, and, um, and you know, the, the, the way that the business has um, grown for you, I mean, what, have you seen, because I know, like, BP was in the news and... Um, all these other crises that had happened recently. Um, have you seen sort of people be more, you know, clients get more, pay more attention to crisis, or how are you, how are you finding that? This, well, the there's that? a great many clients who, who like to prepare and, and be on guard and, and have the formulas and answers and strategies and plans ready to go. There are some, though, who perhaps... Uh, need to be pushed into it, and sometimes when they see what can happen to a Tony Hayward, it might be the impetus to get them to take it seriously. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, even in this day and age, to show you how a company as sophisticated as BP fell flat on its face in a crisis, and and for goodness sake, if it can happen to BP, it can happen to just about anybody. And Apple. 
and, and Toyota. Apple and Toyota, and the list goes on. And right. these are world-class brands, and they've been tarnished to some extent, uh, some more than others, as a result of poor communication with media at a time of crisis. Right. Well, we're getting the music. My, my engineer, Justin Jackman, is playing the music in our ear. So we're going to have to take a break, and when we come back, we'll be back with more from Jeff Ansel. Check out his website, jeffansell.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Webster's Dictionary defines a vertex as the highest point, the summit. The word vertex is derived from Latin, meaning to turn or to spin. If you have a product or service that needs exposure to a desired marketplace, shouldn't the idea be to reach the summit? To turn the tide of public opinion in your favor? To put some positive spin on so that success is in your future? If you run a major corporation and pay for expensive in-house public relations services, or if you're working from home yet need to know how to promote your new product or service, or if you fall somewhere in between, Vertex Communications, a public relations firm, is here to turn the tide on public opinion for you and your product. Vertex Communications, helping you communicate to the Vertex. Contact Vertex Communications at VertexPR.com to get an honest, straightforward assessment of your PR profile and a plan that will work for you, not against you. That's V-E-R-T-E-X-P-R.com. Communicate to the Vertex. What is whole person healing via body, via mind, and via spirit? It's a dedication to the widest selection of healing practices worldwide whenever possible. Hosted by Professor Rustam Roy, a noted material scientist and the founder of Friends of Health, who will be here each weekend with the most in-depth information about whole person healing from the world's leading practitioners, spokespersons, and major supporters for this viewpoint. Tune in every Saturday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. You want to know the inside scoop on how today's leaders do business? How they hire and develop top talent? How do they retain top employees and customers? Tune in to Leadership Leverage on the Voice America Business Channel. Every week, Dr. Robert Denker will offer ideals and facilitate discussion with guests that will help shape today's up-and-coming leaders as well as established leaders in their fields. Listen for Leadership Leverage every Tuesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to PR Insider with your host, Maureen Kettis, brought to you by Cision on the web at us.cision.com. Maureen and her guests would love to hear from you during the live show. Please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also email your questions to be addressed on the show. Send your email to Maureen at prinsider.biz. That's Maureen at prinsider.biz. Now, back to the show. Well, welcome back again. I am on with the wonderful Jeff Ansel. And before we get back to the show, I just wanted to say um, you can follow me on Twitter at, at Maureen Kettis. And um, we will, uh, I'm also blogging now for AOL, so you can check that out at Patch 
com under Beverly Hills. Anyway, so we were talking about um, these companies like BP, Apple, and Toyota, and, um, you know, they're, they're, they're examples of just poor media management. Um, what, in your opinion, um, has which which corporations sort of do a, do a good job, and then I want to hear some tips from you on how to handle it. Well, there's currently one company in the news that I think is doing a fine job, Marine, handling its particular crisis. Mm-hmm. Enbridge is an oil company, and a, a short while ago they spilled uh, an awful lot of oil in Michigan. And having learned, I guess, from the BP example, the president of the company, Patrick Daniel, just about moved himself down there and became... Uh, uh, a strong presence in the town, walking the town, uh, talking to folks, sitting in the coffee shops, making himself uh, fully available to media and so on, and expressing the appropriate level of concern in a situation like this. Uh, you know, something like this is not going to make people uh, love Enbridge as a result of the spill, but maybe it can make them hate the company just a little bit less. Right. So do you advise people you have to, you have to sometimes be hated? You have to be the, the face of uh, anger? Well, you know, it, they're, they're going to hate you because every story that's bad needs to have a villain. Uh. It, it's something I never really thought about until I left journalism, but now I see so clearly how reporters follow a boilerplate when they're creating their stories. Because if you look at a controversial story, we can even take BP, for instance. What's the first character that a journalist needs to find for a story? And I'm not trivializing the terrible thing that happened at BP. The, but person, the, first, the person who did it. Well, yeah, you need to have the villain. Right. And so the villain very clearly was uh, BP. If you have a villain, it means you need to have a victim. And so the victim is, again, without making uh, trivializing, it was the, uh, sadly the 11 fellows who lost their lives. Mm-hmm. The victim was also the environment. So you have a victim, uh, and plus the folks who make their living working you know, uh, right. in the Gulf. Uh, so you have the, the victim, you have the villain, which means you need to have a hero. So who's the hero in the BP story? The hero would be perhaps the journalist. It could be the special interest groups. Um, it could be the, 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 you know, the, the political leaders. Mm-hmm. And then you have the character that I call the expert, and that's the person when I was a reporter, I used to like to put them into a, a white coat just so they'd look official. And, uh, and then we'd have them pontificate about the, uh, the way that rigs ought to be built. And then we have the character that I call the village idiot. <laughs> <laughs> And the village idiot is the one who gums everything up for everybody and says the, the, uh, the things that they really shouldn't say. And the risk, of course, is that very often the villain and the village idiot are one and the same. And I say with great respect, um, Tony Hayward, the CEO of, uh, of BP, uh, could be slotted into the, that role in part because of uh, the inappropriate quote, I want my life back, and the fact that he was cruising on a yacht uh, enjoying himself uh, when all of this terrible stuff was going down in the Gulf. How did you think his ad campaign was, where he, you know, looked with sad eyes and right in the camera and? Well, kind of too little, too late from him. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, they put other folks up, uh, uh, you know, in the media, real yeah. folks who were actually real. there on the ground dealing with the problem. But, you know, when when they were giving out empathy, uh, Tony Hayward was hiding behind the door. Right, right. Too little, too late. I think in this day and age, I mean, this is a theme that's come up often in the show with new media. You have to be fast. You can't drag your feet. You, 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 yeah, you know, Maureen, immediately. It's got to be. It's got to be. Uh, about a, more than a hundred years ago, Mark Twain said that a true uh, a lie can travel halfway around the world while the truth is still putting on its shoes. <laughs> and that was way before television and the right. internet. 
That's that's amazing. I didn't know that quote. Yeah, and you know, getting the getting controlling the message too, getting getting the word out quickly. If something horrible happens to you, or you're caught doing something like Brett Favre, I can't say his name, the football player, Brett yeah, Favre, Brett Favre, Favre, Favre. Yeah. You know, he should have uh, immediately twittered something. <laughs> you know, appropriately embarrassed about his, you know, grandfather acting like a. You know, I don't know, child molester. Yeah, you know, you know <laughs> Americans have tremendous capacity for forgiveness. They'll forgive yeah. the indiscretion, but what they won't forgive is right. a, an inappropriate response to it. Right. So, same with Tiger Woods. He should have said immediately, I'm so ashamed for my behavior. Or, I love my wife and children, and please respect my privacy. Or something he could have Twittered immediately. So, yeah. so, so give us some, some media crisis tips. Okay, let me give you some tips. Uh, first of all, number one, be accessible. You know, when a crisis strikes, you've you got to be there because reporters, like we're talking about now, immediately start looking for answers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and if a spokesperson or, or an executive isn't available, uh, other people are going to, of course, step into the breach. And uh, what they're going to say is no doubt going to be critical. So you've got to, like, a good part of this is showing up. So you've got to show up. Okay. Because you know, what some executives mistakenly believe is that, well, if I'm not there to give them the quotes, we can help shut down the story. But mm-hmm. yeah. you not They're going to go there. away. Right? No, they're going to make up their own story. They're going to find their own villains, right? Well, they've got to. Right. Uh, and so, you know, if, if a company is not accessible, it's very easy to say representatives of Acme weren't available. Jeff Ansell, mm-hmm. NBC News, Los Angeles. Yeah. And, of course, the implication is going to be that they're hiding something. So crisis tip number one is be accessible. Okay. Crisis tip number two is be among those most upset. You know, by expressing true concern, Maureen, it demonstrates our sincerity and reflects a sense of accountability. When bad news happens, people don't care how much you know. They need to know how much you care. Mm -hmm. It's a morality play out there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's important if a person genuinely has uh, values that they bring them to the fore because, you know, when, when people are upset, there's two things they want from you. The second thing they want is fix my problem. The first thing is to acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. And demonstrating genuine empathy goes an awful long way towards dealing with a crisis. So that's crisis tip number two is be among those most upset. Okay. Uh, number three, pay close attention to social media. <laughs> you know, in, in, the, in the ten minutes it takes to set up a, a, a free blogging account, uh, mm-hmm. anyone can become a reporter, a saboteur, mm-hmm. a critic. You know, it's like uh, pioneer blogger Matt Drudge said, we're all newsmen now. Yeah, everybody's uh, a journalist. And, you know, somebody somewhere, Maureen, is sitting in their basement in their sweatpants right now, blogging. uh, That's me! Oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) But they're writing a story now that could go viral in an instant. And, Uh you know, and mainstream media sometimes finds itself catching up with social media. So I advise a lot of big companies, have people whose sole dedication is to follow social media. So number three, crisis tip, pay close attention to social media. And how about be involved in it? Is that part of and that? And be involved in it, not so much to impose your messages, because that doesn't work anymore, but to engage in a genuine, meaningful conversation with people. Okay. Crisis tip number four, know that fact will never win over emotion. You know, historically, public relations people and media trainers would tell their clients to, well, you know, just give people the facts, give them the numbers, and, and they'll see the, the merits of your approach. Right. Facts don't work. I mean, if we're fighting our battles in the court of public opinion, and it's a matter of fact versus emotion, emotion is always going to win. Mm-hmm. 
that's why uh, Obama's having such a hard time now. You, you know, it truly is. It because truly it, is. Because the emotions are, are, are flying high with unemployment, et cetera, et cetera. And people don't care about the facts of the, the, you know, that maybe his plan, stimulus plan will work and it's going to take time. They, all they see is they don't have a job. And it's so difficult for our political leaders to fight back on this. Even if they have good numbers to show, Maureen, to show that perhaps the stimulus has uh, done what it's supposed to do or perhaps employment has increased in certain areas, all the facts in the world are not going to convince somebody who has it in his or her head that the situation is otherwise. And this is why it's, we see the emergence of the, uh, the Tea Party, mm-hmm. and we see incumbents across the country running scared here. So we have to be sensitive to the fact that uh, fact will never win over emotion. In a court of law, it will. Uh, in, the, in the community involving regulators, it will. Uh, you know, if I may, just before we move on, mm. at the course we teach at Harvard Law School, the executive course dealing with an angry public, we usually start the program off, somebody stands up in the audience, usually it's uh, somebody from the Nuclear Regulatory Commission or an organization like that, and they talk about how they want to learn how to help angry people strip away emotions so they focus only on facts. Mm-hmm. And uh, we get a bit of a, a laugh out of that because, again, it's an uphill battle. Yeah. And the sooner we recognize the importance of emotion, the better. So that's crisis tip number four. Know the so it's the angry mob, the angry mob mentality. You have to treat them almost like a, you would a child and try to identify with their feelings. Well, sort of get into their heads and, and ask yourself, what are the emotions these people are experiencing? Mm-hmm. And then say to, them, and say to yourself as part of your plan, well, what is it I can do uh, what is it I can say that could enhance their well-being mm-hmm. in a genuine, authentic manner? That mm-hmm. shows my commitment to directly dealing with this particular issue. Mm-hmm. And crisis tip number five is couple concern with commitment to action. You know, concern without action is meaningless yip-yap. Mm-hmm. It's not enough to emote. It's not enough to express your concern. Stakeholders must be aware of the steps and actions you're taking to confront a crisis. So crisis tip number four is couple concern with commitment to action. Number five. Number five. Uh, number five couple okay. concern with commitment to action. Yes. And, and that, I mean, those are amazing, amazing tips. I mean, I think uh, Obama could probably use you. <laughs> well, uh, I'm available to be of assistance. Unfortunately. <laughs> and you heard it here first. I'm sure, I'm sure Barack is listening to our show, as a matter of fact. <laughs> Actually, we do have a lot of .gov people that listen. So. I oh, bet. Oh, there goes the music. So we will be back. Thanks for the tips. And um, we'll be back with more of Jeff Ansel. Check out his website, jeffansel.com. <laughs> Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Webster's Dictionary defines a vertex as the highest point, the summit. The word vertex is derived from Latin, meaning to turn or to spin. If you have a product or service that needs exposure to a desired marketplace, shouldn't the idea be to reach the summit? To turn the tide of public opinion in your favor? To put some positive spin on so that success is in your future? If you run a major corporation and pay for expensive in-house public relations services, or if you're working from home yet need to know how to promote your new product or service, or if you fall somewhere in between, 
2018. Vertex Communications, a public relations firm, is here to turn the tide on public opinion for you and your product. Vertex Communications, helping you communicate to the Vertex. Contact Vertex Communications at vertexpr.com to get an honest, straightforward assessment of your PR profile and a plan that will work for you, not against you. That's V-E-R-T-E-X-P-R.com. Communicate to the Vertex. Never be satisfied. Let that be a lesson you take away from Double Time with Double D, featuring businessman and former NFL star Dave Duerson. We'll talk about the NFL with special focuses on the game itself, and Double D will take your calls and answer your emails live on the show. It's not Football 101, but rather an in-depth look in the locker room, on the field, away from the field, and opening up the mind of the player. The program will also feature positive messages. So tune in to Double Time with Double D, Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Are you ready to get freed up? Join Dr. Jennifer Freed, one of America's leading psychological thinkers, for a groundbreaking program with fascinating guests and full participation from you. Freed Up will explore topics like liberation in long-term relationships, parenting in the 21st century, comfort in stressful times, and much more. Tune in to Freed Up every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel and wake up to the heartbeat of your life. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to PR Insider with your host, Maureen Kettis, brought to you by Cision on the web at us.cision.com. Maureen and her guests would love to hear from you during the live show. Please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also email your questions to be addressed on the show. Send your email to Maureen at prinsider.biz. That's Maureen at prinsider.biz. Now, back to the show. Well, welcome back again, and thanks for staying tuned in. I am on with Jeff Ansel, and he wrote a book called When the Headline is You, An Insider's Guide to Handling the Media. So check him out at whentheheadlineisyou.com. Jeff Ansel, welcome back. Thank you, Maureen. Nice to be here. So let's talk about the book, because I want to get you know, into the nitty-gritty of the book. Um, take us through you know, what the main message is and um, some of the chapters that are you find most important? Uh, The main message is that when the headline is you, use your values to steer you through the situation. You know, when companies are involved in in, in terrible situations, sometimes uh, spokespeople can default to their worst habits. Uh, I have found that when spokespeople are confronted with tough questions in uh, in controversial situations, uh, the first thing they do is they hold their breath. Uh, The second thing they do is they stop listening to the question. The third thing they do is they feverishly ask themselves, how am I going to answer, how am I going to answer? The fourth thing they do is they get argumentative and negative. And the fifth thing they do is they have an out-of-body experience. <laughs> and, and I think like a, shock. Yeah, well, they start to see colors too, Maureen. Yeah. Uh, I think there's a better way, and that's what I outline in the book. I think the first thing a person has to do is breathe, and I actually talk about, and I know you're into yoga, Maureen, yes. <laughs> how important breathing is to be able to have a clear head uh-huh. and to be able to provide the brain with the right amount of oxygen, slow down the racing brain, get the heart beating with the right amount of beats per minute. Breathing does that, and that's the first thing we do. The yeah, second thing we ought to do, and I talk about this extensively in the book, is ask ourselves, what am I made of? 
And I've created what I call the value compass, which is a, a very oh. effective tool that brings you clarity right away. And the value compass helps you identify what, what traits, what elements of your nature, what standards that are important to you do you want to include in the messaging and actions you take to respond to a situation. So that's laid out. Now, is somebody supposed to do this right in the moment, like right when they're freaking out? Someone, yes. something. It's possible. It can be done. And in the, fact, the CEO of Starbucks finds out that the uh, coffee used, you know, the coffee pickers were child labor, you know, slave labor in uh, Nicaragua, and well, he's got, now he's being now he's he come he comes out of the gym and there's a crew a camera crew there and he has no idea this is going on and he comes out and he has to breathe. He has to breathe, <laughs> but, if, but Maureen, if he doesn't know what's going on, I, I'm not going to suggest that he he indulge. In, uh, in offering any thoughts. Okay. What he has to do is say that uh, I'm, he or she has to say, uh, what you are sharing with me is, is most concerning. Uh, let me get uh, as much information as I okay. can, and uh, I will uh, get back to you ASAP. So at the very least, he's at least given the quote to the reporter that it's most concerning, and that'll okay. buy time until he finds out what the information is really about. Okay. And if it turns out that it's true, he then, of course, identifies uh, what he wants, what elements of... Uh, must be included in the response plan and the messaging and the actions, mm -hmm. and then uh, do his best to create messages that are going to deal with the situation and an action plan that's going to address it in a, in a head-on manner. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we talk about how to admit bad news in the book, okay. because reporters like problems. They don't like solutions. So chapter uh, three of the book, in fact, uh, talks about the best way to frame your problems, uh, especially when you've got to communicate them to media and have your messages go through the editing process. Uh, chapter 4 talks about crafting compelling messages. We've created a whole bunch of different message categories that uh, are appropriate for any type of a situation, especially uh, a tough situation. And uh, we actually provide uh, a media messaging toolkit that is going to guide folks along every step of the way. Chapter 5 talks about delivering your message. Uh, how important it is to be able to deliver in a message a message in a way that is uh, quotable uh, to ensure as well that there is consistency with the body language that's uh, surrounding the delivery of the message. Mm -hmm. And we also offer a whole bunch of strategies on what to do uh, when this type of a question is asked, what to do when that type of a question is asked, when a reporter repeatedly asks a question and so on. And so there's also a six-step message delivery exercise that folks are going to find very helpful as well. Wow. And Chapter 6 deals with when the going gets tough, and what do you do when you're in real ugly situations? How do you bring all of this together? We use a whole bunch of case studies. There's a lot of anecdotes and a lot of prescriptive information in the book as well. And Chapter 7 deals with 20 what-ifs, and it's a collection of 20 of the most common questions I've been asked by folks in our training programs over the course of, uh, of all the years of me doing this. Ah, wonderful. So it's all together in one book. Wow. So what do you think is more important when, you know, when someone's interacting with the media, whether it's a crisis or not? Um, is it the message or how they deliver the message that's more important? Well, I mean, ultimately, it's got to be the, the content of the message that's, that's uh, most important, and it's got to be a genuine, sincere, meaningful, authentic, heartfelt, and action-oriented. Now, once but we you make... said fact never wins over emotion, so is, is that contradictory? I mean... Well, no, not at all, because the, the, message, the messages don't necessarily have to reflect uh, facts. Facts are an important component of messages, but it's the feeling around the facts that is very uh, that's ah. important. And so I talk a lot about what I call color messages in the book, different categories of messages 
to reflect our concern, to put issues into a context, uh, to create a category of message that absolutely nobody can argue with, uh, descriptive messages. Well, give me an example of that. What, what's some, a message that nobody can argue with? Okay. We've just had an environmental spill where, let's say, 50,000 gallons of dimethyl meatloaf has just spilled in the local waterway. Okay. Okay, so that's, that's the fact. Um, the, the, the message that nobody can argue with is the environment must be protected. Mm-hmm. And even though we're the ones who, you know, and this is not the message now, Maureen, this is the subtext, uh, as part of the messaging, and it's going to be genuine, we're going to be the ones who are most upset about this, as we should be, because we did it. We have a responsibility to clean it up. And when we say to people the environment must be protected, we show people we get it. Right. right. And rather than taking a bad news problem and ratcheting it up and making it worse, that type of a message is designed to acknowledge it and ratchet down the controversy. And that's one of the categories of messages I talk about in the book. What do you think journalists think of hardcore journalists think of your teachings, your, your kind of teachings? Do they think it's, do they read your books and, and think, you know, uh, this is, we're not that simple. <laughs> we can't be controlled by people who've been trained in media. Oh, it's not a matter of control, Maureen. You know, sometimes there's an objective, I'll come back to the journalist question in a sec, but sometimes people say that one of their objectives in going through media training is to be able to control the encounter with the reporter, and, and that's just not possible, and it's presumptuous to even think that uh, they could exercise that type of influence. You know, if you're able to control the words that come out of your mouth, be happy with that, Mm -hmm. because that's real hard to do, and that's why people need to be trained. Now, with regard to how journalists feel about the process, it's really a mixed bag. I hear from a lot of journalists who say that they like interviewing people who've gone through training because they know how to answer questions, they know how to give those sound bites and the messages and get right to the point. Mm-hmm. There are those reporters, of course, who are suspect of the whole process because what they think, and I can't speak for what other media trainers do, Maureen, I can only speak from my own practice. Mm-hmm. They mistakenly believe that media trainers are there to tell people uh, mistruths or to mislead or to be evasive, and that's not the way I do it. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, if you don't want to answer a question... Do not pretend you didn't hear it. Acknowledge why you're not going to answer the question or can't address the question. I had a situation once, Maureen, and I guess it feeds into this concern that journalists can justifiably have in some cases. I was training a number of plant managers to deal with, heaven forbid, a loss of life in one of their factories. And in the simulation, we had a worker who sadly died. And so my question in the training to the plant manager was, What's your comment about the the death in your factory today? And he came back to me and said, well, you know, we're very, very proud of our safety record. Mm -hmm. Excuse me? Somebody just died and you're yapping about being proud of your safety record? I said, how on earth could you come up with an answer like that? And he said, well, you know, I had a media trainer once who told me to always be positive. Uh. And that's, that's just no, you have to advice. identify with the feelings, right? I mean, that, that was, Absolutely. It's terrible advice. Is number two on your list, on, right, was be upset, show yeah. true concern, and be accountable. Yeah, be a genuine yep. human being, for goodness sake. Right. The first, the first thing should be the tragedy and how horrible yeah. it is. And I've got to tell you, if a journalist is doing an interview with a spokesperson, and she or he is evasive and not answering questions, then the journalist has every right to come at them with, you know, with, 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 you know, with, with a frenzy. Because, you know, it, it's, not a matter of, it's not a matter of stonewalling journalists. That, that works against us. You've got to be there and you've got to be open. You've got to be honest. 
And, you know, if a journalist isn't getting the, the real goods here, they have every right to right. be relentless in their pursuit of uh, answers. So really, it's, it's people that are being defensive. Um, or evasive even more than that. Maureen. And evasive, and, and, and rather than identifying with the problem and the, the, the emotions around the problem. Absolutely. You know, it's wow. as simple, Maureen, as just asking yourself, honest to goodness, it's not that sophisticated. It's a matter of asking yourself, what's the right thing to do? You know, there, there's a food company called Maple Leaf Foods. They're based in Canada. They're quite yep. big. They're a food processor. And about two years ago, they had a listeriosis outbreak. That's a bacteria that's deadly. Oh. It killed 22 of their customers. Mm. And the CEO, uh, a fellow who's a, a quite genuine, uh, said to the media in one of his, uh, he was constantly in the media, said to the reporters at one point, the last two people I'm taking advice from now are my accountant and my lawyer. Mm. And I thought that was beautiful. Mm, yeah. That's amazing. Well, because so often the lawyers are calling the shots in these situations. Right. And i got to tell all our friends in public relations and public affairs that when you're in an ugly situation and you're sitting around the table with the general counsel and the CEO, we recognize, of course, that the CEO has a tremendous reliance on general counsel, and general counsel has tremendous influence at the table. But it's important that the CEO recognize the general counsel can save us $100 million in the court of law and lose us $1 billion in lost sales. Right. So who's the winner here, folks? Right. Do you think financial companies, um, you know, companies that manage money and products, and do you think they, they pay attention enough to these kinds of services, or, or are their CEOs not... Uh, aware enough of these kinds of things. I like to think, Maureen, that the enlightened CEOs are aware of this and the importance of knowing how to communicate properly mm -hmm. in media. Mm -hmm. Too often, though, you know, the, the CEOs of large global corporations don't take this process seriously until the you-know-what has hit the fan. Right. Until uh -huh. then, they're able to coast or think that their PR people can deal with the problem. I, 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 that's, that's sort of my take on it, too, is that, that a lot of these companies that certainly can afford this kind of service don't... Uh, don't uh, pay for it enough. <laughs> no, All right, we're going to take another break. Justin's giving me the music, so we'll be back after a word. And um, go check out uh, whentheheadlineisyou.com. the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Webster's Dictionary defines a vertex as the highest point, the summit. The word vertex is derived from Latin, meaning to turn or to spin. If you have a product or service that needs exposure to a desired marketplace, shouldn't the idea be to reach the summit? To turn the tide of public opinion in your favor? To put some positive spin on so that success is in your future? If you run a major corporation and pay for expensive in-house public relations services, or if you're working from home yet need to know how to promote your new product or service, or if you fall somewhere in between, 
Vertex Communications, a public relations firm, is here to turn the tide on public opinion for you and your product. Vertex Communications, helping you communicate to the Vertex. Contact Vertex Communications at VertexPR.com to get an honest, straightforward assessment of your PR profile and a plan that will work for you, not against you. That's V-E-R-T-E-X-P-R.com. Communicate to the Vertex. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Holistic living is nutrition for not just your body, but your mind and your soul. Holistic nutrition goes far beyond the foods that we eat or the supplements that we take. Discover natural means to heal your body and regain your innate healing powers. That's Holistic Living with Tina Marie Jones on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Tune in for your weekly dose of good holistic living. Business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to PR Insider with your host, Maureen Kettis, brought to you by Cision on the web at us.cision.com. Maureen and her guests would love to hear from you during the live show. Please call in to 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also email your questions to be addressed on the show. Send your email to Maureen at prinsider.biz. That's Maureen at prinsider.biz. Now, back to the show. Welcome back again. I'm on uh, with Jeff Ansel, author of When the Headline is You. Check it out at whentheheadlineisyou.com. And um, I've got Paul, uh, so a caller, Paul from Utah. Paul, are you there? Yes, good morning. Um, good afternoon, sorry. Yeah, that's okay. You have a question for uh, Mr. Ansel? Um, actually, uh, no, I'm sorry. I was in. Forgive me. And my Hello. phone battery is dying. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right, thank you. Bye. Okay. Well, he did not have a question for you. <laughs> okay. Well, let's talk about let's talk about that then. You know, what can can any of these lessons that you teach be applied to regular people in their communication skills? Absolutely. In fact, I'm hoping that a lot of folks who are just uh, curious about how news is made and to help understand also about ways to answer tough questions in difficult situations, I hope they'll find value in many of the strategies put forward, because uh, it. it so much of what we uh, we share in terms of answering questions from reporters has uh, application in other venues. Uh, you know, private conversations and tough issues are all about emotion and so on. Mm-hmm. So when the headline is you, it offers a number of strategies and tools that are, are very, very effective, e- even if you'll never pick up a microphone in your life. I, I love that. And I think, I think Paul in Utah maybe could have used a little, a little of that help. So do you think there's such a thing as off the record when you're in getting an interview? You know, when I was a journalist, Maureen, I had good relationships with newsmakers. And 
and I had off-the-record relationships with government leaders and, and, uh, and uh, you know, police officials, but they knew they could trust me, and I would never violate that trust. My concern is that uh, too many people think it's a law, and you can't break the law of off-the-record. It's no law. Um, you know, uh, my rule of thumb is never say anything off the record that you uh, never say anything off the record that you would not say on the record. Right. And how many? Oh my gosh! How many politicians and world leaders and corporate leaders have been caught doing just that? Uh, careers have been ruined because of it. Oh yeah. And now with with all these new you know technologies and, and social media things, you really have to be careful what you what you write. You know, before you push send, be very careful. Right? Oh yeah. And, you know, everybody's carrying a camera these days. Oh, I know. I know. So we're always on. So let's talk about um, the impact of body language and facial expression and vocal inflection. Um, do you think the body can, people can lie or no? You know, none of us are that good that uh, we can have absolute control over our body and nervous situations. Um, people experience what I refer to as body language leakage. When, something, when they're talking about something that they're very uncomfortable talking about, uh, there are an awful lot of tells. Uh, people, they touch their face, they, uh, they cover their mouth, they fidget, their eyes are all over the place. Uh, there's a whole bunch of ways to determine uh, somebody's discomfort. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of research from, uh, for instance, from the University of California in Los Angeles that demonstrates that when an individual says something, 55% of the way that message is interpreted comes through the visual, the body language, the expression on the face. 38% of the way the message is delivered comes through the voice, the tone, and, and, and the timbre in the voice in terms of the inflection and so on. And 7% of interpretation comes through the actual verbal component, the words an individual uses to get their message across. So I, I, that's, that's not to, to say that the message is trivial. I think the message is still paramount. The only thing is that for a spokesperson to be truly effective, she has to ensure that she has the right visual and vocal presentation so that the message has congruency, right. essentially, so that the spokesperson looks like they mean what they're talking about and sounds like they mean what they're talking about. And it really ties into your, your, your rules that you gave us earlier, the five rules, um, because if you if you can show true concern if you if you you can have your 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 emotion win over fact and you can show concern is action through being sincere in how you come across i think like pe president clinton was a perfect example of that I mean, he was he was really good but you know what uber communicator i mean he just was incredible he's still incredible he is, and for those of us who've had opportunity to meet uh, Mr. Clinton, he really is quite exceptional. I've seen him in person at Fortune Brainstorm Green, but I yeah. did not uh, meet him. Well, I had the opportunity to have two conversations with him. Nice. And he is, he is really good. He's a listener, right? He re that's what I've heard. He really tunes in to the person he's speaking to. You, you know, I had one conversation with him, uh, and we were talking about some mutual acquaintances. And then about an hour and a half later, we started talking again. And he came back to me, and he finished. The, he picked up the conversation exactly where we left oh. it off. Big brain. And he must have had a conversation with like dozens of people in between. And he focuses on you, and it's as if you're the only person in the universe. It's a gift. Wow. Maybe that's what Monica saw in him. So, um, what do you think <laughs> of the tr traditional um, media? Do you think uh, you think there's a, there's a do you think social media is the be all end all? Are you still a fan of traditional media? I, I know my opinion on this. And, 
curious to get yours. I'd love to hear yours. Uh, from my perspective, traditional media is here to stay. Okay. It's not the only show in town, though. Right, right. And very often, traditional media is picking up the lead set by social media. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, um, it's, uh, social media has to be respected now. Oh, the yeah. concern, of course, is that they're not accountable to anybody. But they're a player in the game, and technology has allowed that to happen. And well, we they are accountable when it's a, a major corporation playing in the game. You know, they have to, they're, they're accountable for their message. But, yeah, but, but yeah everybody's, a, everybody's a journalist. It's true. The whole everybody's world. a journalist. And, you know, and sometimes major corporations are going to decide not to go after certain people in social media. There's a lot of hit and runs out there right. where people are taking shots at corporations and then, you know, and then hiding behind the door again. So, so tell me what's new for what's coming up for you and the future of your company and where you, where you sort of see yourself going in the next uh, five to ten years. Well, I, I, I love what I do, Maureen. I, I love working with folks on, on tough issues. I approach each assignment to this day as if I'm still a reporter working on a story. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy to have lucked into something that I, I really enjoy doing. So I want to keep doing more of it. I'd like to write another couple of books. I think a couple of books are in me. Okay. And, uh, you know, just, just keep sharing with folks information that I hope is going to make an important difference for them in the way they communicate, not only with media, but with every other important audience as well. And, and for your students, um, uh, you know, how much, is, uh, how much of your time is spent teaching and, and um, what do you hope that students take away for their futures from your course? Well, I always like uh, spending time with students. Yesterday I, uh, I lectured at one class at Harvard Business School, um, and it's a, a great pleasure to, to, to work with these uh, young people because uh, not only are they the future, but they're the future leaders. Uh, I got a couple of emails from, if I can just look them up now, from some of the students at Harvard who wrote me after my class there yesterday, and I think that really hits the nail on the head. I'm just doing a search here. Oh, didn't see. you want to announce also while you're doing that, didn't you want to announce that there's a, um, if anybody's listening from Cambridge, that they can come something? Didn't you have something? Yes, there's a, there's a program we do. This is an executive course. It is called Dealing with an Angry Public. Hmm. And it is taking place on November 2nd and 3rd at the Cambridge, uh, in Cambridge. It's sponsored by MIT Harvard. Nice. And uh, it's a course that uh, helps people identify the appropriate strategies and tools and techniques to deal with angry publics. And uh, we get folks from very controversial sectors and and we get a lot of leaders from the business world and from government as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, there, there might be even a, a seat or two available for those. Uh, the Consensus Building Institute is the organization to contact for, uh, for a, a seat at the Dealing with an Angry Public Conference. Oh, my gosh. I think I'm getting the music. We're going to have to have you back. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks yeah, for Yeah, all right. We'll have to have you back. All right. Well, that's all I have left for today. I want to thank um, my wonderful guest, Jeff Ansel. Check thanks. him out at whentheheadlineisyou.com. Also, thanks to John Missile and my um, engineer, Justin Jackman. This is your host, Maureen Kettis. Have a great week. Don't forget, relate to your public, whoever they may be. Thanks again for listening to PR Insider with your host, Maureen Kettis. PR Insider is brought to you by Cision, helping communications experts navigate the sea of social media. Visit them on the web at us.cision.com. And make sure you join us again next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Network. Have a great week.